Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers, episode 42, Cold Rains, Cold Hands. I'm Scatty, we have with us Brooke and Matt, as always. Hey, uh. Yellow. And today we'll be bringing you five chapters from A Storm of Swords. That's Cat 5 and 6, uh, so two from Cat, Sam 3, Arya 9, and John 6. That's chapters 45 to 49 of A Storm of Swords, according to a wiki of Ice and Fire. Uh, we are spoiler-free. Until the end of our podcast, we do have a special segment at that time called Davos After Dark. Uh, we'll warn you with a little musical jingle, uh, courtesy of Matt, that uh, will tell you it's coming. So if you're reading along at our pace and don't want to be spoiled about other stuff, uh, just jump off at that time and uh, spoil your little virgin ears. We always also always say, uh, if you want to contact us, uh, lots of ways to do that uh, through DavosFingers.com. That's our Tumblr site. Uh, email at WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com. Twitter at DavosFingers, or you can find us on the Facebooks. Best yeah. best communication this week was definitely the A Song of Ice and Fire 420 hashtag that we did. <laughs> yes. Did you see that at all, Brooke? Or are you Twitter silent right now? I'm Twitter silent, but I am so pleased that that is a thing. <laughs> are you t- what? Are you Twitter silent for Civil War already? Yeah, I have been for like a week. She's crazy, dude. It's not. It Brooke doesn't come so out hardcore. for another two weeks. There's spoilers everywhere, and I already told you I'm violently against them. (laughs) I will ship you, shank you, and slice you, I swear to God. uh, She's done it before for much less. (laughs) Well, I'll just tell you this. I heard Captain America is in it. Whoa, whoa, stop it. Okay. Stop it. Okay, see you guys later. It's been nice nice talking to you, bye. (laughs) (laughs) No, but we, uh, for all those that aren't on Twitter that listen, we, uh, I I just realized I looked at my clock um, at work and it was 4.20 p.m. on April 20th. And so I just sent out a quick tweet (laughs) with that and um, we started this whole hashtag a song of ice and fire 420 conversation talking about all of the characters who we think would be baking at that moment in time. Um, my favorite was Thoros. Someone brought that up, and I thought that was brilliant because I can totally yeah. imagine him doing it. Yeah. Um, had some other good ones. Uh, we talked about Mira. I bet Mira would totally blaze it up. Um, Boris Blunt. <laughs> Jesse said that one, and I thought that was good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's, that's that's so one of those great. ones where your name just defines who you become. <laughs> Yeah. That's so um, wholesome. I love it. We we talked about Oberyn and Willis token together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> token it up together. You're gonna go down with that ship, aren't you? <laughs> that was your ship, Brooke, wasn't it? <laughs> no, that was all Matt's. Uh, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Jamie that brought it up, but yeah, it was wonderful. Good times. All right. <laughs> Anyways. Just a couple, a couple notes. Um, we did something called "Films Get Fingered" several, several Davos Fingers episodes ago. Uh, we covered uh, our first uh, movie. That was a uh, Star Wars episode seven, Force Awakens. We're going to do our second "Films Get Fingered" very, very soon uh, for a film that we'll just let you guess that's uh, coming up soon. You know, we received very little positive feedback on "Films Get Fingered," but this cast is about us having a good time, so we're going to do it anyway. Uh, so look for that if you're interested. Uh, we'll probably just post that to the end of an episode coming up. Yeah, yeah. we just tag uh, it onto the end. Just, so if you don't want to listen, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, this 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 episode is recording the day before some TV show comes back on the air. That I, it's called uh, Ice Demons and Dragons or something like that. 
and boobs. <laughs> and boobs, ice demons, dragons, and boobs. Just full um, frontal nudity. Yeah, so uh, we just wanted to talk about our podcast's uh, kind of stance on Game of Thrones in general. And the three of us have different opinions on the show. The podcast itself, I don't know, Matt, I think you put it very well, the, the podcast stance. Do you want to just go into that or do we want to talk about our feelings on the show in general? Oh, does anyone feel strongly about anything? I'm interested in Brooke's opinion, actually. I know what Scott's is. It's not really an opinion. It's just like a low-simmering bitterness <laughs> that is always <laughs> with me. I just, I cannot, you know, the show is fine. I, I think the actors are great. The production value is definitely up there, at least after the first season. Um, I love that it has created this whole additional fan base um, and supporters of George and his works. But I cannot distract myself. Like, I cannot compartmentalize the books from the show like a lot of people can, like, view them as two separate entities. I just get so distracted by all of the inconsistencies um, within the show because it's almost it's almost like it's a third dimension away from what I picture in the books because I have my own personal headcanon, which I stand mm-hmm. by, then the actual book canon, which... George stands by and is very prolific about. And then you've got this third show canon. And I just, I'm just not interested. I'm just not into it. And now that we're entering, now that we're past the new parallel between the books and the show, I don't want to be spoiled, even though they have diverged so much. There's so much you can interpret from what's going to be happening in this new season of the show. But also, I don't want to hear about them third hand, so maybe I do want to watch the show just so like I can get on top of it. So <laughs> so just like a lot of emotions, <laughs> a lot of feelings, yeah. mostly just just if someone tries to talk to me about it, I just tell them to shut up, just shut up. So that's, don't. Otherwise. That's my stance. <laughs> Very valid. So Very valid. Scad, yours is similar. Yeah, pretty similar. In um, some respects. You know, we, we got to... We don't talk much about our about our reviews and stuff on iTunes, but we got a, a recent really negative review on iTunes that just caught me like really by surprise. She, the person doing the review basically said like it didn't seem like we even liked the books, and it just floored me because I love this what? world. I know I just was just floored. I love this world so much. I love the way George paints it so much, like it gets inside of me and wiggles around and almost makes me want to explode. I love it so much. Uh, I love the complexity that he sows within it. What you're describing is an orgasm. Yeah, it was just, it's just been so long, I didn't know they were the same feeling. Gets it in, wiggles it around. Um, and and so to me, I, I love the purity of purity. Not in that sense, really, but the purity of the world George has created. I don't want anyone else's hands soiling it, if you will. And again, to Brooke's point about the production, the quality of the show, the acting, highest marks, right? They're very good. I just, I want George to tell me that story. I don't, I don't want someone else telling me, you know, the way George's masterpiece ends. I want the original author as intended to tell it to me and... So yeah, similarly with Brooke, I'm just I'm terrified of hearing stuff that's going to spoil the opportunity for George to tell me himself. And there's there, no 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 bitterness to HBO or George for doing it. Like good for him getting his. Like in this day and age, authors they need to take what they can get, right? And good for HBO getting theirs too. Like TV content creation race is fierce and crazy. Good for them too. I'm just 
as Brooke said, I'm not. I'm just not interested. I don't, I don't want to hear somebody else's take on this. I, I want to hear George tell it. Um, so mm-hmm. that's my take. And so yeah, I'm going to be trying to avoid spoilers as much as possible. I'll be Twitter silent here starting today. And uh, I'm not at the opposite end of the spectrum, but closer to the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> I think the I think as adaptation, uh, the show does very poorly um, as an adaptation of the books. Uh, but I think as, as as a television show, it's good. And I have been able to do that thing that Brooke talked about, which is separate them in my mind. And I do think of them as separate things. Maybe I just got good practice because of the whole Star Wars thing. Mm. Um, but uh, I am able to do that now. So I'll be watching the show. Um, but kind of in an apathetic way. I If... If I get around to watching the episodes, I'll watch them. I won't be waiting with bated breath every Sunday to catch the new episode. Um, but I'll probably watch it, and I'll be fine with it. So, yeah, that's where I am. I'm cool with it. I'm the same guy. This is the same guy that saw Return of the Jedi as the first Star Wars movie that I ever saw. So, and when it comes to spoilers. <laughs> and it's also the same guy that doesn't consider... The Force Awakens to be canon, like as you said, you are very right. good about separating in your brain mm. what you consider to be real and what you don't. So, yeah. good on you. Force for that. Force right. Awakens and all the stuff that Disney has built is good stuff, and I like it, but it's not canon to me, and I've been able to separate that. You're a good combination of self confidence and chillaxing. It's <laughs> maybe just being very naive. Yeah, as the only person here who doesn't drink. Or actually celebrate 420. You're very chill. I did think it was pretty funny that the one, the Mormon of the three of us, was the one just having a blast with the 420 thing. Uh, anyways, as a podcast, um, so you heard all our individual stances, but as a podcast, we love these books. Uh, we only get two hours uh, every three weeks to talk about the books, and so we just want to talk about the books that we love. Uh, so again, as a podcast, we do not talk about the show. Maybe there's been a handful of times ever that we have, usually in the context of we like or disliked the actor who they chose to play a character's part in the show, right? That's usually all we bring up the show, uh, when on here on our show. Yeah. It's mostly just Dinklage talk. (sighs) Dinklage. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. That's who, where we, that's where we are on it um we're gonna stick to the books that's what we love no show talk here uh if you do want to talk about the show uh you heard that brook and scatter go on twitter silent you know we still get the emails uh notifications on our twitter and stuff i don't think brook you check those very much but scad checks them pretty religiously so if you would be so kind lovely listeners um to not mention us and not add us in any specific show talk um that would save Brooke and Scad in particular some pain and suffering. But don't like, don't bend over backwards. Yeah, don't agonize about it. I mean, <laughs> Thank you, though, Matt, yeah. <laughs> for protecting us. Matt's doing his best Shield Islands impression, but right. we know there are going to be some Ironman seamen that sneak up the Mander and uh, insert themselves into our whatever. And I'm willing no, no, to take, take it for you. I will take it for you. <laughs> uh, but seriously, I'm not that interested in talking about the show. So, but if you're really just dying to talk to someone from Davos Fingers about the show, 
You can talk no, to me. Listen, that's being way too nice. If you try to talk to us about the show on the Twitter, we're blocking you, okay? End of discussion. <laughs> Find me on Twitter at Brontabulous, and uh, you can talk to me about it I if think you Brooke want. Is kidding about the about Game of Thrones, but she's not kidding about Civil War. She will block you. Oh yeah. There, oh, and I'm, she will do all of those terribly violent things she talked about yeah. as well. There will be blood. I'm completely off the internet because I've made so many enemies. <laughs> and they have the ammunition to... I really respect the crap out of both of you for even being able to do that. Mm, well, oh. respect me after I'm successful. <laughs> yeah, if the last two seasons have been in any indication of how you're, how this is going to go for you, Scad. Yeah. I always end up begging Matt to tell me what happened. And I I told him that I'm going to give him three warnings. If he asks me, I'll say, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? I'll say it three times, but then I'm telling him. I have have faith because in previous seasons I cared more and uh, about the direction of the story and they've gone far enough off the rails now that I just, I dislike a lot of those directions. So I just care less, but I I think I'll be fine this year. And with the you know the added pressure of it being, you know, new material, I think it'll be easier for you too. Yeah. All right, there we are. That's my gosh. We just spent like ten minutes talking about the show. I feel dirty. Yeah, me too. Let's <laughs> let's take a let's take a shower with cat. Wait. Oh, oh. shit. Not if we have to. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who's up? I believe that's Matt. Yep. The words will cut you like valerian steel to a head. She can't love Jon Snow, but she's sure to let you know where she stands. A devoted mother who married the brother of a dead fiance. She's vengeful and hateful, loving and faithful. She's Catelyn. Catelyn Stark. Okay, so Jane couldn't bear to be apart from Rob for that whopping one hour that he'd been away from River Run, and so she rides out after him. And after a how, bit of how embarrassed babe, were you for her? Oh my gosh, for <laughs> Rob! For <laughs> no, I thought it was sweet. So there, you know, like after a bit of babe, not in front of the troops, as she begs Rob to take her with him, Rob gently sends her back to River Run, where she's to remain safely under the protection of Rob's uncle, Brendan the Blackfish. Meanwhile, Rob continues to the twins in the company of his mother and 3,500 troops to offer his apologies to Lord Walder Frey for breaking their marriage for troops agreement. And of course, Edmure Tolley, the new lord of River Run, gets to prove Rob's remorse by marrying Rosalind Frey. Uh, it should be noted that as important as this sorry for my wiener slash marriage jaunt to the twins is, it's really only a pit stop as Rob has his eyes set on retaking Winterfell and driving the Ironborn uh, out of the north. So much of the journey spent in the never-ending rain, the same rain we can imagine that the afflicted that afflicted Arya and the Brotherhood Without Banners from our previous episode. Uh, the rain casts an even heavier gloom on Catelyn's heart as she reflects on her broken family, the death of Ned, her father, her two sons, and daughters who are, and you know, the daughters who we don't know are dead, uh, but she thinks are all but lost to her. She's trying to stay strong, and I remember on first read feeling rather calloused against her, like pull yourself together. But now I guess old age. 
maybe parenthood has softened me is I just want to give her a hug. Uh, the rain also afflicts the morale of the rest of the troops, worsened by the fact that all crossings over the blue fork of the trident have flooded, and it appears the only way around will be through the boggy Hags Mire, which is one of the best names George has come up with. Um, anyways, you just get this prevailing sense that things just aren't right, you know, just not 100%. I've got a bad feeling about this. Uh, later, as they break camp at a place called Old Stones, a ruined stronghold of the ancient house mud, two D's in that, nice one, Gurm, uh, Catelyn finds Rob at the worn sepulcher of Tristopher of that house, a king who had reportedly fought in 100 battles, 99 of which he'd won, but the final, the 100th, he'd lost to the Andal invaders. So perhaps reflecting on Rob's similar undefeated until now, but who knows how long that'll last path, the subject of Rob's heir comes up. And as it stands now, with Bran and Rickon dead, Sansa is next in line, meaning Tyrion Lannister as well by marriage. Cat and Rob both agreed that they cannot allow Winterfell to fall into Lannister hands and thus essentially write Sansa out of the will. And with Arya presumed dead, Cat starts to grasp for other options, even going so far as to suggest the daughters of Rob's great-grandfather's sister, who'd all married Vale lordlings. Cat admits to herself that she's just trying to not arrive where Rob is leading her, which is to her favorite bastard, Jon Snow. Cat uses every trick in the book, bringing up Jon's position in the Night's Watch, the fact that he cannot inherit because of his bastard title, uh, also the quote-unquote fact that he or his posterity might try to wipe out any of Rob's sons should he have any. Uh, she even brings up the fact that Arya might still be alive. But finally, her prejudice just shines through, and Catelyn affirms that she cannot support this decision by Rob no matter what. And Rob's like, Psh, I'm king, homie, so peace. Uh, the conversation ends on that resolved yet unresolved note, but it's not long after that Rob and co. receive some good news. Balon Greyjoy is reportedly dead! And the issue of secession at Pike has turned interesting, uh, because as it is, despite Theon Greyjoy's rightful claim as Balon's surviving son, Balon's next youngest brother, Euron, has already returned to Pike and apparently claimed the throne for himself. And this confusion, Rob and his lieutenant's reason, could actually be to their benefit, as Victarion, the next youngest of Balon's brothers, current commander of the Iron Fleet and currently stationed at Moat Kaelin, will most likely return to Pike to throw his hat into the ring for next king. And he'll probably take most of his troops with him, leaving what Rob hopes will just be a skeleton crew at Moat Kaelin. Uh, which will, Rob will have to pass through, of course, to return north. It's then that Rob reveals his plan. Jason Malister of Seaguard is to sail two ships up and through the neck along the Fever River, flying Rob's banner and carrying two of Rob's trusted leaders, Mage Mormont, who we love, and Galbert Glover. They are to hopefully be found by Howland Reed, Mira and Jojen's dad, so they can tell him of the plan. Meanwhile, Rob's troops are going to start marching straight toward Moat Kaelin in three distinct groups lined up one behind the other. The first group, led by the Great John, is to attack Kaelin head-on, while Rob's group is actually going to slip off into the neck to hopefully meet up with Reed's men, sent by Mormont and Glover, and then uh, and they'll lead Rob and his crew through secret passages of the neck up and around to take the Ironborn from the west. So kind of attacking from two or three sides. 
The other commanders all agree to this plan and their part in it, except for Catelyn, who finds out that her part is to ride the Pine Pony at Seaguard, where she will wait out the rest of the war in the custody, I mean, safety of Lord Malister. The chapter ends with Rob whipping out a piece of parchment, announcing that it contains written on it who is to be his heir should he fall in battle. He commands all the lords there to affix their seal to it as witnesses of his decision. And oh, great, Catelyn thinks. That's where the chapter ends. It's kind of a ponderous chapter, wasn't it? What, what was the what, ride the what was that? Ride the Pine Pony. I've never heard it's this a phrase in my life. Thing. It's where you're riding the bench. That makes sense. Just never heard it called that before. All right. You, you thought of something me sexual. for not knowing sports terminology. This Just must be a down. hockey thing. If the two of you know it, it's a hockey thing. I have heard it in hockey, but I've also heard it in baseball. Baseball, basketball. yeah. Yeah, it feels very Lord of the Ringish. all this traveling. Mm. Like, oh, oh, good point. It's a lot. So it's just a, it's just a lot of going places and not getting anywhere good but yeah we're building I, up I, to it. I i glazed over so much of like cat's thoughts and the conversation she has with different people and it's just like oh more rain more sadness blah, 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 blah. But, yeah i yeah. i do give germ like a hard time for his interpretation of like nature like <laughs> his understanding of winter sketchy <laughs> at best yeah but the thing that he has nailed is the way that weather dictates mood and motivation. Yeah. Like ah, Catelyn yeah. describes it really well in this chapter of like uh, of the thirty five hundred riders in Rob's train needing to be buoyed by waving banners and the relative comfort of you know dryness instead of being <laughs> incessantly beaten down by all the elements. He understands that this is a different time and place in this universe where where the elements have a big effect on civilization in general i don't know i think i i just um relate to it really well because i'll i'll bike walk or take the train to work and so i'm always like what what 18 different outfits do i have to wear today in order to like still appear professional but also not <laughs> die of cold or wet anyways yeah i have to worry about that too in my nice heated car mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. just going from one air-conditioned place to the next down in utah Yep, you know it, mm -hmm. girl. <laughs> we have a hell I look, of a walk for office, though. I, I look at the sun shining from my window well, every day. Unless people shut all the shades. Anyway. Yeah. That's so sad. You guys have the most amazing view from your office. Right. It's yeah. like anything else. You get sick of it when you have it all the time. Oh, it's just, it's absolutely stunning. It's the Wabash mountain range, I want to say. It's the Rocky Mountains. I've gotten yeah. that wrong eight times. Yeah. You have. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's just, oh, I will never get over it. It's, it's lovely. It's a good view. It is lovely. What do you think of Rob's plan? Which one? Uh, oh, the, 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 the retaking of Moat Kaylin. Well, not retaking, but I didn't know taking. if meant succession. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like the plan uh, to get to Moat Kaylin. You know, I, I, the reader probably remembers, but Moat Kaylin is notorious for not being able to be taken with a frontal assault, even though... You know, in the, the descriptions you read, they sound like they're basically falling down towers in some way. Um, the, the terrain makes it pretty impossible just from a direct attack. But, uh, yeah, using the Kranigman to kind of subterfuge around in a, in a diff from a different angle uh, would sounds like it'd be pretty effective. It's a good, good idea, yeah. Rob. It's a good idea, but I worry about it because the whole attack hinges on 
the Kranigman joining up with Rob's troops. And he's just like, yeah, they'll do it. Yeah. They'll one, find him. They have oh, to and find by the way, too. Yeah. Yeah. And there yeah. has to exist these secret passageways. Rob's just like, I've heard <laughs> there's secret passageways, so we yeah. can go up and around and through them, and it'll be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Great John is like doing this frontal assault on Moat Kaelin, and it's like he's done for if if these secret passageways don't exist or the reeds don't find him. You know. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the impression I get about the reeds, um, I don't know. Maybe going back to Lord of the Rings as well, like. You know the the Northmen, the the, the uh, you know the the Rangers, Aragorn and, and his ilk. They know exactly who's traveling through those lands. They know <laughs> everyone. They can hear them breathing. They know exactly where they are. They're just shepherding them through, or watching them, or attacking them if they don't like who they are. I get the same impression with the Kranigmen. Like they know everyone who's in that land, and they let them go if they want to, and they don't if they don't want them to. So I feel pretty confident that that Rob's plan will work. Um, you know, wave that banner as high as you can and they'll find you. And, right. you know, and he tr- I don't know why he trusts them so far. I mean, what is the, you know, he says, my father knew the worth of Howland Reed. And, and certainly we've heard, um, you know, the story at, at uh, the Tower of Tower of Joy that, um, you know, Howland was, was in strong support of Ned and, and a good friend of his. But what has Howland done for Rob so far? You know, I, I mean, Rob doesn't know anything about Jojen and Mira, or I don't think that he does. Maybe he got a letter or something indicating that they had come to Winterfell, I can't recall. But, you know, the Reeds have gotten off pretty light so far. I mean, think of what all the other families that are beholden to the Starks have had to sacrifice so far. The Reeds have done nothing. They kind of owe them at this point. I think it'd be funny if, like, they do find him. Like you said, they know everything that's going on, and I do agree with that. And then Rob's like, okay, dude, so show us the secret passageways. And Helen's like, what secret passageways? <laughs> How good of a swimmer are you? <laughs> yeah. mm, nope, don't have those. Yeah. What's your next plan, Rob? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think, I, think his, I think that's his plan, and I think it would work. I think he's also counting on something you alluded to in your chapter summary, which is that he thinks those towers are going to be much less defensed with this ironborn right. distraction of succession. Yeah. If um, Victarion leaves, he's going to take his troops with him to add muscle. And uh, Right. Yeah. And I, I think he believes that the Great John probably could smash through mm. if, if, if that is the case. If, any, if anyone could, you think a, a Great John-led vanguard would be able to. But. Yeah. Um, fun little thing that I just found that it just proves how good George is at juggling all these balls and, and <laughs> bringing back characters who you thought were gone. And I knew you'd giggle at that, Sorry. but the Miraham, the boat that with the captain that brought them the news of Balon, we've seen that before. Yeah. It's the same boat that Dion uh, took to Pike. Yeah. He's the taxi driver yeah. with the daughter. That led to one of the greatest conversations we've ever had in Davos Fingers history. So. Which makes me wonder if, if all this story that he's giving about he was held there and they wouldn't let him leave. Maybe it was his daughter being like, please, can we stay a little bit longer? I can convince <laughs> Theon, really I can. I miss him so much. <laughs> I just remember him describing her as having like an oatmeal face. Yes. That really stuck with me. <laughs> just moisturize a little extra every night to avoid that fate. Yeah, we need to get her with some skincare products. It's bulletin board material. Up with a Mary Kay lady or something. I don't know. Oh, no. <sighs> uh, anyways, good, but good catch. 
Yeah. I suppose the final thing that maybe we should talk about just real quick is uh, what do you think of Catelyn's just intense prejudice to John? Yeah, I want to talk about the succession stuff a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, I just wanted to lend credence. To, you know, she's not really wrong. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many of our readers are like go full into the history and everything, but um, if if you're interested in that sort of thing, A World of Ice and Fire goes into um, one of the, one of the things she's alluding to, which is the Blackfire Rebellion. Right. Um, for those that haven't read it, just quickly, Aegon the Unworthy. I think that was Aegon the Fourth. Um, legitimized like 12 bastards on his deathbed like made them full-fledged targaryens even though they were bastards and it plagued the kingdom for over 60 years through five different rebellions over those 60 years also resulted in the golden company but that's a story for another time but 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 she's kind of right you know once you legitimize Jon snow you can't undo that and let's let's put my prejudice aside for a minute and let's just all agree that Jon's a good guy you have no mm-hmm. idea what his kids are going to be like, or those person's kids, or that person's kids. And if they're all legitimized, you're putting at risk your own your own real line. And, you know, Rob's argument against that is is good. But she has a point. You know, the Blackfire Rebellion yeah. is a fucking mess. But what I inferred from her talking about Jon Snow's kids and stuff is that somehow by him being a bastard, it would make his kids terrible. That's what I inferred from that. Oh, that's, that's not what just I just because a bastard, his kids would be terrible. That seems to be a very common, like, right. just it is. prejudice belief in Westeros. I mean, in the next Catelyn chapter, uh, Ruse Bolton is just like, oh, yeah, Ramsay is just terrible. Inherently, he's, he's a good fighter, evil. but he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Listen, listen, I have an excuse for all the terrible stuff he's done. It's because he's a bastard. <laughs> That's it. Like, <laughs> totally. It's just like you get totally. fully carte blanche if you're a bastard. I mean, And Catelyn's like, F and A. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> Don't I know it, Ruse? <laughs> but, you know, like you said, Scott, Rob's retort to that is very good that, you know, if it came down to Jon Snow, who's, you know, by all accounts a good kid and has lived at Winterfell his whole life and everything – and some compared to some lordlings from the Vale, grandfathers, sisters, kids, or something like that. You know, who do you pick? Do you really give those people Winterfell just because they are who they are? No. Yeah, it's a, it's. I, I agree with, I agree with Rob for sure. But do, do you think John would even want it? That I, I was reminded when I was reading this, I was just thinking about how much. You know, Rob's riding up and down the column. He's thinking about all this stuff. His succession got to come up with some new fangled way to to get past Moat Kalen. His brothers are dead. You know, his whole family's in turmoil. Does John even want this? Heavy lies the crown. Uh, to quote the Departed and probably the Bible or something else that that came from originally. Um, you know, do, would would does, does John even want that crown? It's a lot of responsibility. There- there was a very I don't think... recent John chapter where he had like a self-revelation where he realized that, right. yes, he does. Mm. I, I think he, he doesn't want the responsibilities that you're bringing up. No, he wants But he, he wants desperately wants to be recognized yeah. and acknowledged as a Stark, yeah. right? Arguably the same, like... Yeah, like, maybe they're alive. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, the, same, the same sin of pride that Catelyn has. And do you think that um, with Rob... With with Rob and Cat disagreeing on this, the Jon Snow thing so much, do you think it kind of taints Rob's <laughs> like? Except, Scad, you're worse than me tonight. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say it again though. 
taints Rob's uh, like how he handles Kat's opinions and counsel and stuff because of their disagreement about John. Like with him sending her to Seaguard and stuff like that. Do you think he'd still do that? Because otherwise, Kat usually gives very wise counsel. You know well, what I mean? You listen to her on the Jane thing. I, hmm, I think he really is coming into on into his own as a ruler. Yeah, and he mm-hmm. knows when to use her counsel and when not to. Just like he knows when to use the Great John's counsel and when to ignore his bluster. Right. Like it's just it's just part and parcel. Yeah, I was gonna weigh in, but I think Brooke nailed it. I think so too. Uh, we should probably phrasing. <laughs> We're not doing phrasing anymore. We had about eight of those. I'm really proud of you guys. We should move on, but I, I did want to just throw out real quick. I've put it out there a couple times just as a small thing. I have this the- theory about Peter and Cat that I don't know exactly what it is. But oh, I'm yeah, just saying again, she completely unnecessarily remembers Peter and her and a history and a little memory that they had. It's totally unnecessary, yep. the flow of anything that's going on, and she finds it in her brain to uh, to think through it all. There is, yep. I, I'm starting to go stronger in my convictions that there is something there. You gotta write it up. He is a memorable little twerp. I'll give him that. <laughs> Alright, let's move on. Uh, Sam, that should be you, Brooke. You don't think that you belong here, but boy, let me tell you, you do. Samuel Tarly, they can hardly keep your dreams from coming true. Slaying things that'll make the bravest shiver. Time and time again, boy, you deliver. Slaying, fighting, reading, and writing. Samuel, boy, this world was made for you. Things are not going great for our Sam the Slayer. It's been a while since the last Sam chapter, so remember, Craster's wives had bundled him Gilly and Gilly's infant son off to find safety after the whole Ides of Mormont incident at Craster's Keep. And Sam is still taking them south. He has maps, but he has no idea where they are in relation to Castle Black, uh, where they need to get. And the difficult terrain north of the wall is tricky to navigate in straight lines. So add to that, Sam's horse died on them due to Sam slowly crushing the horse with his weight is what Sam surmises. So Sam is on foot leading Gilly and the wee baby wildling on another horse that isn't in the best shape either. They're running out of food and Sam is not having much luck with hunting or fishing, not having suddenly developed these skills along with his slaying abilities, (laughs) which is just a general disappointment. They end up in a small abandoned village uh, that Sam hopes is White Tree, which they pass through on their way north, but admits that the heart tree in the middle of the village is not the same one that he remembers. They bundle up in an abandoned hall in the village, and Sam sings a sweet song his mother taught him as a child. Uh, We learn here that Sam has a great singing voice, according to Gilly's trained ears. That Songs of the Seven never actually mention the seventh god, the Stranger, because the Stranger is death. And that wildlings don't typically name their children before the babies are two years old, because so many of the babies succumb before that time. So they bring the horse in that night and all curl up together for warmth. And Sam gets startled out of a sex dream about Gilly in his childhood bedroom, whatever that means by a paralyzing cold and feeling of dread. 
Sure enough, there's something amiss. Specifically, the animated corpse of small Paul shuffling into the hall, hands black, skin white, eyes burning an unnatural blue, Raven sitting on his shoulder, eating the dead flesh of his face. (laughs) Sam, never missing an opportunity to piss himself, pisses himself. (laughs) He calmly tells Gilly to take the baby and the agitated horse and get out of the hall and away. Sam has Lord Mormont's dragon glass dagger, and by gods, he knows how to use it. He distracts dead small Paul to try and give Gilly the opportunity to escape, but the horse is freaking the F out, and small Paul turns to go after them. That's when the Slayer attacks, stabbing small Paul's back like a deranged lunatic, yelling, You're dead! You're dead! You're dead! And I like to imagine a fireman bursting into a burning building, shouting, you're burning you're burning when i read that anyways oh bro the dragon glass dagger shatters on small paul's chainmail. useless sam's other dagger which is steel doesn't do much either and small paul has sam under the chins now choking him to death sam uses his weight to knock them both over and he manages to grab a burning brand from the fire and force feeds it to small paul Small Paul's head literally bursts into flame and the blue lights in his eyes go out and he drops Sam. So Sam, having defeated this white, books it outside to check on uh, to check on Gilly, but it's a shit show outside the village too. A score of whites have already killed their Garen and they're closing in on Gilly. It's not fair, Sam whimpers, and the raven who had come with Small Paul lands on his shoulder and croaks. Fair, 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 which leads me to believe it might be a raven we know. Then, in like another what is happening moment, an unholy rain of ravens descends on the whites. So many ravens, they block out the sky. Sam's shoulder raven tells him to go, 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 and Sam grabs Gilly's hand. Gilly's like, go where? Our Garen is dead. Uh, we can't run away. What are we supposed to do? And like a taxi cab showing up for your drunk ass just when you need one, a man dressed mm. all in black, riding a spacious 10-foot-tall elk, swings up, calls Sam brother, and gives them a lift. The only issue being that when Sam goes to shake the guy's hand and thanks, the hand is black and cold with fingers hard as stone. So, crazy chapter. It was pretty, like, high energy. It was good. It gets the blood going after that Catelyn chapter, for sure. A lot crammed (laughs) into that that chapter, yeah. Including Sam, the return of Sam the Slayer. This time Mm -hmm. a white Slayer. Cue Mm -hmm. the Slayer music, perhaps Spirit in Black. Deep in the heart of the death. I just, I know one of you does not like Sam chapters. I believe it's you, Matt. You don't like Brienne or Sam chapters so much. At least you mm. voiced that at the beginning of this book. Yeah, I think it, it, probably, the later it probably ones. was me. It, it was, and but I will say that reading them like we read them now, analyzing them and such has, has brought out a new enjoyment for me. Me too. Yeah. I mean, I've always liked Sam, but oh gosh, these 
chapters are so layered. Like the entire mm-hmm. time he is saving himself and Gilly, he's telling himself inside, oh no, I'm such a coward. I am such a jerk. Yeah, I totally agree with what you're <laughs> getting at. Like, you are brave, you- Sam. Just embrace it. Yes, like, and he he like continues to be plagued by memories of disappointing his father, and I think it's fascinating how Gurm peppers the books with like offhand mentions of Randall's Randall Tarley, his father, uh, like amazing battle prowess. Anyone would think, wow, there is a great guy. Like we always hear third hand about Randall Tarley being so amazing, uh, like so smart, so capable. But then we have these literal horror stories from Sam. He is a dick. Yeah. Oh, he's such a piece Good of shit. Good heavens. Literally the worst father in the books. And there is Whoa. a lot of competition. I don't know about that. I mean, okay, mm. name me a worse father. Name me another father who gave their son the choice to die by his own hand or take the black. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty bad. But I, I bet <laughs> I can come up with one. Give me a, Give me a minute. If you say my dad and we go to into like a two hour sob session. My I'm dad's awesome. Dad. <laughs> Love you, dad. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I agree. Sam still has no idea how much of a hero he is. No. He just has no idea. And that's so sad. We talked about it. We've talked about this many times before about how would this chapter look from Gilly's POV or how would these events look from Gren's POV or someone who's watched Sam do all these things. And they look very different. Oh, yeah. And uh, to, in Gilly's eyes, Sam is the bee's knees, man. He's <laughs> something else. And he should be. I mean, sure, he's peeing his pants, but he's taking on a big, huge white head on. That's cool. Go and the Sam. best part, yeah, he tried to talk to Small Paul first. Yeah, like, Do you remember Sam. me, We're friends. You saved me. We're friends. You carried me around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I was just glad that Small Paul got his raven. Yeah, he did. I guess he did. <laughs> nice catch, Sked. So this mysterious rider. Uh-huh. We'll uh, we'll find out more about him later. But convenient much? Holy cow! Yeah, maybe right. convenient. Uh, Sam does pray to the old gods to send help, mm-hmm. doesn't he? Somewhere in there, he does. And just before the ravens show up, he says that the the weirwood trees all around the village started like whispering to each other, mm. or that's what it sounded like. Yeah, it was like they mm. sound like never more, never more. Wind, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounded like. <laughs> Interesting though that we do get uh, similar descriptions of uh small paul's hands and this new arrival's hands oh i'll say that also i'd ride an elk that sounds great those things are beastly i would be terrified he's pretty big you can like hang stuff off his antlers (laughs) like your keys oh your keys i have to set up a gps on those things (laughs) That would be great. I did actually have an interesting elk. <laughs> have I told oh. you guys this story? Oh, no. No. I'm when so I was excited. A kid. More nature adventures with Brooke. <laughs> There's this town outside of Calgary called Banff, and it's right in the Rocky Mountains. It's like right. a good getaway place. Yeah, it's um, beautiful. St- it is really beautiful. We're staying at a resort there when I was a kid. And I woke up before my parents. And I went outside and there's just animals everywhere because it's in a national park. And there were elk out on the lawn in front of our condo. And I started feeding them Pringles. 
<laughs> because apparently my parents taught us nothing about like respecting the natural world. And one of them kicked me. <laughs> one of them kicked you? Yes. Where? Where did he kick you? This is in the leg. I was oh. fine. It wasn't it's hard like, anything. Bitch, just, I hate sour cream and onion. I wanted the Pringles. <laughs> I just want original. I just want original. Oh, Where's the can? But, yeah, it was, uh, that was, that's, other than How? seeing them on the highway all the time, Dead. that's my only other interaction. Yeah, well, How I mean, were you? How old were you? Oh, like six or seven. Like, they're huge. That, <laughs> that took tre- tremendous courage. Uh, yeah, but like, when they're in the town and stuff, they're basically tame. Right. Yeah, as, as apparently... Mm, Pringles. <laughs> this is all a Pringles commercial. <laughs> Buy Pringles. <laughs> uh, so wait. So are you all right? I'm okay. Okay. Thanks. That's good. I noticed you walk with a slight limp. Yeah, that's, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, she doesn't. No. Yet she walks very normally. Thanks. I thought you were gonna like really compliment my walk, and it was gonna get weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's already plenty weird. Let's be honest. So, how how are the whites tracking Sam, or or are the others back there lurking somewhere? You know, that's a, that's a good question. Just go ahead. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's a good question. It kind of goes back to how did those two whites know how to find Jerry Mormont at Castle Black? Yeah, right? yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you know, what's their intelligence level? Do they have some sort of? Uh, autonomy that they still know things from when they were alive or something or are they as you're alluding to scad dependent on being ordered around perhaps by the others well i mean you know it's not like it's really tough to track somebody through snow but Mm -hmm. you know you're leaving giant tracks and they're on horses and everything like it wouldn't be terribly hard but zombies couldn't do it i mean these are if, if they're doing the tracking they have some level of intelligence to 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 know what something looks like and follow it, right? And Gilly says that it's the scent of the new baby, right? Yeah, she Which, said that. If oh, you've ever smelled mm-hmm. a dirty diaper, <laughs> does it smell like life? But that's why I asked about the other. Does it smell like life? It's the opposite. Uh, which that would make sense to me if she meant the others can smell the baby and and want right, and, and yeah. are drawn to that scent, but the whites. Yeah. That doesn't make much sense to me. Right. Yeah, no, Gilly I... doesn't have a master's degree in white studies or anything. Mm, she should get one. <laughs> she, that would have come she's in handy right about it. now. Yeah. <laughs> she's working on her master's first. Yeah, it's, but it's all PhD. night courses, and she's way behind. <laughs> I was going to say, Craster's not incredibly supportive of no. his wife's becoming... You ever, you ever wonder I... if, if Gilly hasn't named the baby because... They never get to name male babies, and she probably has never heard a Doesn't male's name in her names. life other than Craster. <laughs> She's like, "Well, name him Craster, I guess." Yeah, <laughs> I don't know any other boy names. We don't ever get to name them. <laughs> oh, it'd be really great if she eventually names him Sam. Oh. Anyways, um, I did like analyze the uh, I don't know the movements of Dead Small Paul to try to figure out if he was going after Sam specifically. Like maybe he was sent Ooh. there to destroy the the guy who knows the secret to <clears throat> killing others. But oh, interesting. I, I couldn't figure out because he kept on being distracted by Gilly and the horse. So I think he was going for anybody in that hall, but he did exhibit some slightly more than intelligent zombie behavior. Like one thing he ducked under the lentil, like yeah, a zombie right. typically would oh, be just like, uh, there's something blocking my path. I can't get there. He choked 
Sam with both hands, a zombie would be sort of like um, uh, reduced to the most base instincts of just like biting or ripping through the throat, ripping. Yeah, yeah. and he um, he choked. Yeah. So that's that would indicate some cause and effect. I yeah. choke you, you die. But yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. Uh, and I really like that that motivation you brought up of trying to extinguish the secret of killing others. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, I don't know, you... Scad, to answer your question. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know either. Um, I, I I love Sam's I, Sam's just general. Well, you know, we'll just keep going south and we'll find the wall. It's we'll hit big a wall and we'll just keep going south. It reminded me of uh, one of the last lines of hope that you get in the Blair Witch Project. If you haven't seen the Blair Witch Project, oh man, uh, I was going to recommend it, but it was kind of a phenomenon for that time. I, I don't know if it translates anymore, but um, paraphrased the movie, she basically just they're they're stuck they're stuck in the wilderness. They don't know where they are, and she the 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 woman in the movie just says, "Just keep walking in the same direction. There isn't enough woodlands left in the U.S. for us to not happen on civilization somewhere." And uh, hmm. it reminded me of that a little bit. It's like, yeah, well, just keep going in that direction. You'll find something. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But then you've got to find a gate along that wall to yeah, actually right. get through it. Yeah. <laughs> and people there to open that gate, yeah. which we know there aren't many. Anyway, Anyways. we'll see which direction that elk wants to go, because <laughs> he's in charge now, right? Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, last, last observation, then we'll move on. Um, I, I loved how Sam, you know, as, as much as he hated the world he came from, He's still very much tied to it. There's that bit in there where he's reflecting on what it would be like to be with Gilly, and he's like, "Well, I could, I could never wed a wildling. I'm of a noble family. I couldn't wed someone like her." Which is like, of all the things he's experienced, that should tell him that all that is bullshit, and he's still following back on all the social rules and crap from his. his they really brain. get conditioned. Holy yeah. cow! Yeah, it uh, it reminded me of uh, "You've Got to Be Carefully Taught," the South Pacific song. Check it out. Good musical. Lots of good stuff about racism in there. Check it out. You've got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are oddly made and people whose skin is a different shade. You've got to be carefully taught. Please stop recommending musicals. No, dude, it's it's good. Oh, now I get to go wading through a musical to get a sound I'll bite. send it to you. <laughs> also reminiscent you of uh, also reminiscent of John and Agreet. John's thoughts yeah. about Agreet. Yeah. Oh, yep. Yeah. Right. I can't Lower do that. I'm himself. I'm the son of a Stark. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Nice parallel. All right. Uh Arya, which should be Matt again. Arya on the foot. Horse face. Sticking with the pointy end, Arya, on the foot, horse face, sticking with the pointy end. Ah. Uh, the young wolf rides with the hound dog, like really, like Arya and Sandor are riding double through the ever-falling rain. But lest you think she's come along quietly, Arya has already tried just about everything she could think of to get away from he of the burned up face and now arm after his tussle with Beric. I mean, from attempting to stealing Sandor's surprisingly loyal horse when he wasn't looking to carving her uh, name into tree trunks while she's taking a pee to even trying to sneak up on the hound during the night and smash his head in with a rock. 
hit it with the rock. Remember that? My way is <laughs> not very sportsmanlike. Which was my way? Pick up one of those rocks, get behind the boulder. In a few minutes, the man in black will come running around the bend. The minute his head is in view, hit it with the rock! My way is not very sportsmanlike. <laughs> Princess Red. <laughs> yes, Princess Red. Uh, She's been foiled. The hound, for his part, has returned the favor with just about every threat in the book, tying her up, gagging her, throwing her across the horse tied up, <clears throat> and even going so far as to threaten to hurt her, but never kill her. It kind of reminds me of being a parent, actually. Rather comically, the ever-resourceful the same thing. <laughs> threatened to hurt but never kill. Uh, rather comically, the ever-resourceful hound resorts to rolling and tying up the clever Arya in a sleeping mat to ensure she stays put at night. And I just imagine like her like managing to roll away down a hill or something and still escape. <laughs> Anyways, the pair arrive at a river, a river that needs crossing. And sure that the hound is taking her back to King's Landing to loyally and dutifully return her to King Joffrey like a dog returning a throne ball... Arya figures the river is the Blackwater Rush, which is somewhat southeast of where we can assume she was when she was captured, which is close-ish to High Heart, right? And Gurm, though, via Sandor, gives their position away by informing us that Lord Haraway's town shouldn't be too far. So let's do a quick uh, socketing of our mappas. And notice that Lord Haraway's town is like just east of High Heart and right on the trident, meaning that Sandor's actually heading away from King's Landing and at least attempting to go north. Hmm. So arriving at Lord Haraway's town, the wolf and the hound find it half submerged in water. Uh, and I couldn't help but think of like images of flooded towns that we see on the news after hurricanes and stuff. Still, at least someone's decided to work in these conditions as Sandor finds a large flat-bottomed boat crewed by a few men who are willing to take them across the high river for the perfectly reasonable sum of three gold dragons, which Clegane promises to pay. pay. Um, well, which Clegane promises while brandishing his sword and a slew of threats to pay when they arrive on the other side and not before. Hmm, we know what's coming. And so it's while they're out on the river that Arya considers her next escape attempt, which would involve her jumping over the side and letting the raging river carry her away. Her motivation for such an act is dulled considerably, however, when their boat is almost destroyed by a large felled tree shot down the river and barely pushed out of the way by the boat's pullman. Arya's further convinced uh, to not do that when one of the men goes over in the process and is never seen again. So, reaching the other side of the river in sort of one piece, Sandor does his version of the dine and dash, uh, offering the boat's crew his IOU that he'd received from the Brotherhood Without Banners previously, and then he takes off with Arya, uh, accompanied only by, or followed by, thrown rocks and curses. It's later, while encamped for the night needing dinner, that Sandor and Arya have some semblance of a conversation. They talk about Micah, they talk about Gregor, they talk about Sansa, and finally they talk about where they're headed. Arya accuses him of taking uh, her back to Joffrey. Sandor scoffs, saying that basically screw the Lannisters. 
before revealing what we already know. The river they just crossed is the Trident, and they're headed north. And he reveals more. They're off to find Rob Stark in the hopes of Clegane getting a hefty ransom for Arya and maybe even a job. So basically, he's like, chill out. We're going to get you home. It just won't be easy. And that's where the chapter ends. Um, More rain. Uh, that's it <laughs> I mean yeah. we'll find out what happens with this you know the last chapter we're left just with Sandra picking her up we didn't know if he was going to kill her or what he was going to do uh, now we at least know that he does he is intent on collecting a ransom for her and maybe even getting some employment because he's done with the Lannisters right yeah it's it's more of a it's more of an interesting chapter for Sandor than it is for Arya um, mm-hmm. just kind of as you you learn kind of what the journey he's he's going through a little bit um you know he's still not a good guy you know i, I we had someone question on i think i brought this up last episode too we had someone question during the uh song of madness why people like john snow but one of the things that sh- surprised me was how much people love the hound right like, people love mm-hmm. this dude seriously love him I just got a question, like, what has he done to earn love? Like, he's got a very interesting path. So I get that. Like, literarily, literarily, I get it. It's interesting. I understand the intrigue, maybe, you know, like, the hope for a redemption story. I don't know, like, pity, probably, like, he's had a rough life. But people, mm-hmm. like, love this guy. He basically bullies everyone in every single thing that he does. He's a bully. But he's he got is. so much love from the fandom. I don't get it. You guys cleared up for me? Um, I you think there's those... actually named all the reasons why. I just mm. don't think you're buying into it, so you're just yeah. There's have that to stand sense of, of this for a while of the tragic hero. I think it comes back from you know the the talks that he had with Sansa, where he revealed his past and everything, and it goes back to what you said: is we love a redemption story, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree. People, it doesn't seem to be. Uh, a love of his arc and stuff like that. In some cases, it seems to be like this idolization of him, of yeah. Sandor. Yeah. And yeah, he's, he's an a-hole. Like he's, he he's a top 10 a-hole in the series. <laughs> he doesn't, there's like, it no, like I, I can't even think of a single interaction where even when he's being nice, he's not bullying someone. Right. It's, I think also what really contributes to the likingness is his anti-knight stance, which he always comes back to, which his whole arc is kind of based on. I think he's he's kind of unique in that one. Like everybody else is totally buying into the knight bullshit, but he is very vehemently against it. So, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. why I like him. Well, I think he's against the falsity of fake knights. I don't think he's actually against. If, I think if he's someone like a were a real knight, too. I think he'd be respectful of that. Eh. But he knows that all knights have shit for honor, so what's the point? And a, and a lot of that, and a lot of that stems from his hatred of Gregor, right? Yeah. Uh, the fact that Gregor is a knight, yeah, has prejudice. Uh, uh, plays a lot into that prejudice that he has. Uh, you know, just talking about kind of his, uh, he's kind of got that bugger you attitude towards everything. I thought it interesting. Uh, that his horse's name is Stranger. Mm-hmm. Especially after we get a little glimpse into that, 
last the previous chapter in the sam chapter Mm -hmm. when he goes and singing a whole song in a very tolkien-like part of that chapter where germ actually writes out the whole friggin song that seems to be like i believe the children are the future (laughs) um and and Gilly asks him, why don't you talk, didn't you say there were seven? You only sang about six people, or six gods. And he said, oh yeah, the other one's the stranger. We don't talk about the stranger. And that's just Sander being like, bugger you, to even religion. He's like, I'm going to name my horse stranger. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's all I had on that. Kids, this is why you pay attention in class. Arya has no clue about this land they're in. <laughs> like she should easily be able to put together where they're going. Just she's still as... sticking to the moss thing. Yes. She's still into the moss thing. She's like the moss isn't helping at all. Like Bran, I have no doubt in my mind that Bran would know exactly where they were with the information Arya has because he know he pays attention. Like he he paid attention when he was being taught things and he knows stuff about the world. Yeah, yeah, but this is less of a reflection on her intelligence, more reflection on her like her tood, I guess. I expect to be taken to King's Landing. I am always right. I know everything. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, and, then, and so, so the, the world around her has to yeah. what she believes. So I realize becomes the one that I believe is closest to King's Landing. <laughs> I realize you picked you picked a word, but it's not really intelligence as much as just knowledge. If she paid attention when she was getting her maester lessons, she probably would have known where Lord Haraway's town was, mm-hmm. and. Nothing to do with intelligence as much as just knowledge. Hearing yeah, that name she, before. Right. But, yeah, she had that map of Roose Bolton's for a long time, too. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I agree with, with what you're saying, Brooke, that Arya is that type of personality, and there are lots of these types of personalities in the world today that decide what they think. They decide on their opinion, and they mold facts mm-hmm. to fit into their opinion, right? And. Indeed. I think Arya does that. I read an article once that was talking about... Uh, I think, yeah, we all do it to a degree. You're the right. art of arguments and uh-huh. like how to win an argument. And it basically said you, can't, you cannot win an argument. People do not go into arguments in order to, to, in order to have true. their opinion changed in any way. That's true. That's they true. go into an argument to convince the other person, which can't happen because the other person is thinking the exact same way they are, that they are right already. They go in to reaffirm their own opinion that they are right. Oh yeah, that's and, true. Yeah. Anyway, it's a, it was a sad article to read. I'm like, you mean I've never had a valuable conversation where I've changed someone's mind on anything? That's <laughs> mm-hmm. sad. I'm trying to think of any instance. I've gotten nothing. <clears throat> it's yeah. all true. Yeah. So Sanders killed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Micah's death seems to bug him. Yeah, I had a note about that too. It's his, is it his because response was interesting. Yeah, is it because he's really bugged by it? Or is it because it's just caused him a lot of trouble recently? Like, Arya keeps bringing it up, and it's, he's probably just at the end of his patience rope with her yeah. in general. And then, you know, the whole thing, um, fighting Beric and stuff, stemmed from that accusation of him killing Micah. So is it just kind of that he's just sick of Micah, 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 Marsha, Marsha, Marsha? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha! Uh, or is this death really bugging him? I think it's bugging him. And I, I have a, I mean, I have a theory. I don't have any evidence behind it, but my theory is that he was commanded to find the boy and bring him back, and he decided to kill him and bring him back on his own. Like, like the command specifically didn't say kill him and bring him back. It was bring him back, and mm. he elected to kill him. And I, I don't have any evidence behind that, but it would be a reason why it would bug him where some of the others don't seem to, 
because most of the things, as we've talked about in previous episodes, that he's done, he can hide behind a command. I was ordered to do this, and you don't disobey an order that you're given by a superior. Mm -hmm. Whereas if he chose to do that, maybe that would bug him more. Just a theory. Someone pointed this out to me, I, so I didn't. This, this isn't a discovery of my own, but back clear back in Game of Thrones where he does it. Maybe we've talked about this before. It, um, when he comes back, I think it's it's in a Ned chapter when he comes back, right? I think so. uh, but Eddard notes that underneath his visor, he could see the Hound's eyes glistening. Was the word that was used, mm. and someone postulated that perhaps those were tears. Well, that's one of those Hound lovers that I'm talking about. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If I was to put myself in the Hound's shoes, it would really bug me that Arya kept on bringing it up because no one else would ever do that to me. Nobody else would ever throw <laughs> oh, yeah. something like that in my face. Don't you realize how much bigger than you I am? <laughs> yeah, nobody else would ever dwell upon a disposable butcher's boy. Yeah. And it's actually making him like... Yeah. It's like, I'm done, okay? I did it. It's over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all I got for this chapter. Okay, uh, let's move on. Uh, this would be John. I think that's that's actually me. Where we're going up north, where the winter's cold and the icicles bloom like the bluest rose. We haven't met his mom, but we love his wolf. He's John Snow. John travels to the wall, barebacked, exhausted, wounded in pain. Uh, should be said the horse also uh, completely exhausted. Uh, as he wa- makes his way to Molestown, his thoughts drift between his brothers and his lover, but to be honest, it's all pretty feverish and not too clear. Um, the horse does get him to Molestown, though, as burned out as it is. Uh, he gets a fresh mount there, telling the stable boys to sound the alarm. Wildlings are afoot. John then makes his way to the wall with a new mount, and he heads immediately toward the only smoke he sees, which is Donald Noy at his armory. He walks in, and Donald's just stunned to see him. He's full of questions, including, are you a traitor? Uh, basically, he's, he's suspicious as fuck, but uh, it soon passes with a few answers from John. Uh, Noy informs John, then, that the Watch, or what remains at Castle Black, has been dealing with wildlings everywhere. Faints, red herrings, John assures Noy that the attacks will come at the wall. The wall is where the entrance is that they need to get all those people through. So, what's coming up the King's Road? 120 wildlings, uh, the reader might remember. Most of those are, are the Magnar of Thens uh, people, and, and there's some other uh, wildlings from the climbing party. Uh, what's in defense? Noy says about 40 black brothers, but they're kind of the worst fighting brothers <laughs> they've got. Look, they aren't locusts in sandals, but they are uh, challenged, <laughs> crippled, according to Noy, some of them. I mean, Donald himself, the meanest of the cripples, has taken charge, but it's a, it's a bit of a motley crew. Uh, so, Noy drags John up the stairs to see Master Am- Maester Amon to try to get his uh, injuries dealt with, as John clings to consciousness. What follows, really, is just story time for the two sides to learn what, what they each missed. In case you haven't been paying attention, you might want to go listen to the last several episodes of Davos Fingers, or, you know, reread the books themselves. They're phenomenal. However, since we're awesome, we'll give the quickest of rundowns, micro-machine style. John joined the wildlings under the other orders of Corn Halfhand to survive and learn about them. He climbed the wall with some, fell in love with one, and ran from all to warn his brothers. On the other end, the old bear is dead, killed by other members of the Night's Watch. Twelve brothers made it back. Sam, not among those that made it back, Bowen Marsh is acting as Lord Commander. That's the quick summary. As Amon cleans well and addresses his wound, John tries to fill in the details for the approaching wildlings. 
But as he's trying to give him details about what they're like and who they are, he trips up when the thoughts reach Ygritte uh, and are mixed with the soothing escape of Milk of the Poppy. He confesses to busting his vows wide open, among other things, and when the hot iron prods him, he just passes out. He awakes to friendly faces, friendly faces and agony. <laughs> his leg is killing him. Uh, they fill him in on details with the circumstances around leaving Sam. Left for dead with the betrayers because he basically wouldn't move. You guys remember Matt gave this summary. It was it was almost like a movie scene with the old bear's head resting in Sam's lap as, as the other brothers had to leave him behind. Mm. John is eager to help, uh, but told to rest. But despite telling him to rest, blind Amon hits him with a haymaker that would ensure that nobody could rest after hearing news like this. Winterfell is no more. His brothers Bran and Rickon are dead. Theon betrayed them. John can't believe it. Won't believe it. Didn't he just see Summer at Queen's Crown? Was Bran in there? Lots of kind of half-sane questions. But he's poppy-fucked again. For the second time, <laughs> the dreams take him, uh, and he's not conscious to, to speak his thoughts. So, the dreams. Swimming in the pools of Winterfell, Egret strips and seduces him but his father's visage is carved in the heart tree, and he's watching him. John, <laughs> John chooses his honor as a son of Winterfell and a brother of the Night's Watch over Egret's wiles. You know nothing, Jon Snow. And she melts in the bubbling pool, her skin falling off her bones, leaving a skeleton behind, and the pool red with blood. And that's all she wrote. Yuck. Uh... I don't know, guys. I I don't know what you thought of this chapter. It felt pretty lean to me. I mean, it, it really is, you know, the the micro machine update aside. It really is just kind of the two sides coming together and learning what's been going on from each other, dealing with the wound, you know, and then that dream thrown in. Not not a whole mm -hmm. lot going on. I don't know if you guys agree. Yeah, it felt anticlimactic to me, but I think that was deliberate. Yeah, it was supposed yeah, to be I think so too. Yeah, but we still had to suffer for it. <laughs> yeah, we did. I, so, I think I think actually, like the most important thing that happened in the chapter was the dream uh, and and what it signified. I mean, I think it it really is just John's letting go of Egret and and by by that also the whole the whole wildling world. He's made his choice. That choice is the Night's Watch and his honor, and that life is behind him now. It's gone. It's melted away to bones. And I think that's really the most important thing that happens in this chapter is John's kind of, you know, the flight to the wall was harried and pressure and, you know, he didn't have any time to think. Now he's here with his brothers, kind of safe, and he actually has a moment to process what this really means. That life is gone. His days of being a traitor to the Night's Watch are over. He's back, and he's put it all behind him. That's the way I read that, and... I think that's about there all, all there is to this chapter. Thoughts? Yeah. Overall, I think you're right. Um, there were some convenient things that happened there. I think it's very convenient that John found Donald Noy first. Yeah. Rather than like if Alice or Thorne had found him. <laughs> Can <laughs> yeah. you imagine true. how different all this would be? Yeah, true. Uh, and I love Donald's uh, comment to him. He's like, so should I be killing you now or what? <laughs> yeah. 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 He's, he doesn't kind of doesn't know what to do. Like he's heard, uh, he's heard that John is a traitor um, from somebody who saw John. I, I skipped over this in the summary, but somebody saw John riding with the wildlings. One of 
the Night's Watch scouts saw him riding yeah. with the wildlings and Jarman. Yeah, Jarman Buckwell, uh, who's dead now, I think. Um, or died at the fist. Yeah, that's right. So, point is, uh, yeah, they, they don't. Donald Lloyd doesn't know like whether he should really trust him or not. But I, I think they get by that pretty quick. It's kind of a. It's kind of like, well, we got to throw suspicion in there because they have to be. But I don't want to deal with it for very long. So let's just assume they believe him and he's back. That's what it feels like to me. There is also talk in that chapter about, you know, there's going to be a choosing for the new Lord Commander. The two choices are Cotter Pike and uh, and uh, Dennis, Dennis Malister. Mm-hmm. You guys have a read on that? Anything interesting to say? Uh, it just sounds like the pickings are rather slim right yeah, now, right. unfortunately. That they're kind of just defaulting to, well, who runs the other castles? Cotter Pike and Dennis Malister. So I guess they're it. Yeah, but we've never met any of these two characters before, right? Yeah. We've we've heard a little bit about Dennis uh, from Mance. Um, you know, Dennis was at the Shadow Tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's run the Shadow Tower for like forty years or something like that. Yep. And Mance was under his command there. But other than that, we really don't know much about them. We know that uh, Cotter must be come from Ironborn ilk with the last name of Pike. Yep. He'd be a bastard from the. Ironborn from the Iron Islands, and also know. therefore he doesn't get along with Malister at all. The, as as was kind of noted yes. in Rob's or in Cat's uh, chapter, the Malisters of Seaguard live right by the Iron Islands and are constantly in fear of them kind of raiding them. Yeah, it's kind of constant warfare between the two. You can imagine the enmity. We do get a reminder that Brendan Stark is still. Uh, oh, not Brendan Stark! My God, Benjen- uh, Benjen Stark still out there somewhere and not a candidate because he's possibly dead in case we forgot and just dark existed this guy still comes up yeah Yeah. which is relevant i I mean how how long has it been uh we might get caught here i don't know if anyone's done that research how long has it been since benjamin went out over a year yeah i mean much more proficient at surviving than Arya, perhaps, but, you know, Arya's been disappeared for, I don't know, six months or something, and Rob's assuming she's dead. Seems like they should cut bait with the Benjen stuff. <laughs> mm. You'd think. Maybe they've got more insight into his resourcefulness beyond the wall than we do. I don't know. Clever stuff with, uh, with Mance having the wildlings attack all over the wall, kind of spreading the forces thin. Yeah, clever stuff there. Yeah, spread those guys out, and and the wildlings really don't know how shorthanded the watch really is. You talked about this motley crew, yeah, and man, spreading them out like that. We know that, you know, it's like scraping a small amount of butter over bread. I think that's a Bilbo Baggins thing. Yes, um, but yeah, they've got a very small amount of butter. They're trying to spread over a big amount of toast right now. Yeah. Literally, Motley Crew, the band, and their roadies <laughs> have more members than the people at Castle Black. <laughs> and they're all about the ilk of a Motley Crew roadie. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we don't have any Motley Crew roadies listening. <laughs> yeah, I'll make up for it. I, I love Motley Crew. Big fan. Can you tell us why? Why I love Motley Crew? <laughs> this is interesting. You really want to know why? Yeah. Uh uh Nikki Six is awesome. Uh he's he's a really good musician. Uh he writes for other people. Um oh. and he's he's a bassist. Uh, I like 
I frequently find that I like uh, bands that their bassists are heavily involved in the uh, in the creative process. Because they're few and far between. There's not a ton, uh, but I think they're <laughs> usually pretty good. Um, Rush being another one, but you know they're yeah. very organic anyway, with all three of them contributing. But um, I don't know. I, their their songs are. We talked a little bit about Nirvana last last time and how it kind of ruined the music and the uh, what I thought music should be um, of of the time. Uh, Motley Crue kind of uh, they're part of that, right? Very just kind of glam rock. I was very I still am into that music. Listen to it. I got Def Leppard going in my car right now. Hmm. So, yeah, buddy. No. Okay, well, I was actually setting you up and oh, you missed the mark. Sorry. I do that I was going to ask you, why do you like them? You'd be like, why? Cherry pie. But Well, that okay. song's by I'm glad Ward, we got so this I'm glad really I sincere, interesting explanation. I appreciate it. The song Cherry Pie is by Warrant, so I'm glad I missed the mark. I thought it was by Motley Crue. Uh, you weren't. You you probably aren't the only one, bro. <laughs> Who's Warrant? Huh. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I should double check that. I'm not even sure if that's correct. Uh, but now they. Uh, we talked about that thing you do, and Tom Hanks, who wrote that movie, purposefully didn't give the bass player a name in oh, the geez. movie, just for that very reason. He's in the credits as. Uh, TB player, as in the bass player, and he's <laughs> never given a name the whole movie. That's awesome. just kind of a nod to the classic uh, stereotype of the bass player in the band. That's great. Which I was, so I take great offense to that. <laughs> uh, really, kind of upset right now. Actually, I should double check, and it is warrant. So okay, uh, my glam rock uh, knowledge justified. All right. Uh, unless anybody's got anything else, let's move on to cat. Tiny little thing I caught. Sure. So insignificant, it's probably not even worth bringing up. But the poultice that Amon put on John's wound, yeah. nettle, mustard seed, and moldy bread, is the exact same poultice that the that Kyburn put on Jamie. So uh, I just thought that maybe it was something that Amon dreamed up. I'm going to put moldy bread, but maybe this is something they like teach at, yeah, at Maester's oh, that's, that's yeah. what uh, That's what penicillin comes from. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Well, early early forms of it. I think they ended up using a mold off of cantaloupe. But yeah, it started with experiments on moldy bread and like the spores and stuff became penicillin, which Look is Gurm. kind of a kind of a cool use of it is like it in its most raw form just put the moldy bread right on the wounds look at Gurr, man <laughs> and look at brooke not only kicked by an yeah. elk but also knows her penicillin the origination of like penicillin. common knowledge <laughs> no well no. there's a lot of common knowledge that is not common to me so okay well, here in the u.s we take a lot of our medicine for granted all right okay no. well i was trying to make up for the motley crew thing <laughs> it was good i liked it Jeez. I could name I could name every member of Rogue Squadron, but I can't <laughs> tell you where penicillin comes from. <laughs> Anyways, and I can name all... every member of Motley Crue. All right, let's move on. Cat. The words will cut you like Valyrian steel to a hair. She can't love Jon Snow, but she's sure to let you know where she stands. 
A devoted mother who married the brother of a dead fiance. She's vengeful and hateful, loving and faithful. She's Catelyn, Catelyn Stark. Yes. Okay, another Catelyn chapter. What is this, Arya? Anyways, <laughs> get ready to party because King Rob and his 3,500 dudes have made it to the twins. Time to cross the Green Fork with Walder Frey's blessing, the river twice the size it was last year when they crossed. Uh, but the first order of business is to pay homage to Walder, uh, who has not come out to greet the liege lord and king himself, instead sending his heir, Sir Ryman. Not Sir Hyman, Sir Ryman. Greywind feels the sting of this insult the most and runs at the welcoming party, knocking a fray named Peter Pimple right off his horse, <laughs> which is not a good start. Greywind continues to act up before they can even make it into the castle, so Rob orders Reynold Westerling to stay outside with the wolf, uh, Reynold being someone who Greywind knows and trusts. This also keeps all the Westerlings out of Walder Frey's sight, but leaves Rob vulnerable in Catelyn's eyes. She urges him to take bread and salt from Walder Frey as soon as they can so they have guest rights just to be safe. Rob thinks she's being paranoid. He's too distracted by all the humble groveling he'll have to do to consider the phrase a threat. Rob's apology to Walder, when he gives it, is gracious and the perfect tone for a king. But Lord Walder suggests that Rob is better off begging his maiden daughter's forgiveness instead, which is just like fantastic and hilarious. And if you're listening to this episode uh, without reading along, I highly recommend hunting down chapter uh, Catelyn 6 of A Storm of Swords for some classic Walter Frey, sass, and buffoonery. So, apology <laughs> out of the way. <laughs> apology out of the way. Second order of business is introducing Edmure to his new bride, Rosalind. To his surprise and delight, she is actually pretty cute. Not oh, bald. dream weaver. <laughs> she does get a good description. Uh, she's not bald and one-eyed like he <laughs> literally expected her to be after seeing the line of maidens that Rob had to apologize to. Like apparently one of them had a twitch. <laughs> had several skin conditions listed. It was terrible. The phrase really are the, the McBoyles of, of Westeros, aren't they? <laughs> Um, but, uh, so, so as favorable as, as Rosalind is, Catelyn still notes that she's of unsturdy Rosby stock on her mother's side and that her hips aren't at optimal childbearing width, but she'll do. Sweet is what Catelyn calls her when Edmure asks her opinion, but internally she still d judges the gap between Rosalind's two front teeth. <laughs> like... I just love this chapter. <laughs> At one point during their conversation, Edmure actually says to Catelyn, I know there are more important things than how pretty she is. Spare me the sermon, Septa. <laughs> just like classic, classic Go, Edmure. Go, Edmure. <laughs> I like Anyways. this guy. Yeah, they have their bread and salt from Lord Walder at Catelyn's urging, and Rob's men start across the castle bridge to be housed in tents on the other side. Uh, Catelyn makes a quick detour to the phrase maester to confirm Rosalind's breeding stock and confirms that she will probably be fertile. Edmure takes a nap. 
When Catelyn <laughs> gets back, Ruse Bolton has arrived with, among other news, the confirmation of the destruction of Winterfell, but assures Catelyn that his bastard son Ramsay managed to take some inhabitants to the Dreadfort. So, old man may still be alive, which is the oh. most important news here. Thank you. Um, this is where he also, like... Hands Catelyn a letter from Ramsay that includes the skin of Theon Greyjoy's little finger. And she's like, your son is skinning people? And he's like, yeah, he's a bastard. (laughs) Yeah, he's kind of a jerk. (laughs) Just don't worry about it. (laughs) Roos carries it around like like a breath mint, you know? (laughs) She's like, "Eh, here's this. Well, he is like I love that we get reminded again that the the Boltons like arraignment is a pink cape to signify like the flayed flesh of their enemies, yeah. the pink of the flayed flesh. Like way to wear pink proudly, <laughs> holy yeah. crap! If you're gonna wear it for any reason, our local minor league hockey team does a pink in the rink every year where they actually dye the ice pink. That's amazing. So still, still just like almost across the river, <laughs> not quite there yet. <laughs> the chapter ends with Rob telling everybody that, you know, his next step is to go north and retake Winterfell. And that's uh, kind of where it's at after, you know, Edmure gets wetted and bedded. Well, it sounds, it sounds like everyone's, uh, everyone's gathered for the, uh, the party. I'd mm-hmm. be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity given Prince's passing to say it sounds like they're going to party like it's 299. Oh, man. <laughs> nice catch, Scad. Very good. Whoa. They're all ready. Whoa. Just caught that during Brooks' summary. Came up with that. I had to figure out how to make the three the three numbers two ninety nine go to four like nineteen ninety nine. But you know what? I figured it out. Thanks for breaking turned, that down. You kind of turned two into two syllables. Yeah. Two ninety nine. No, I went two hundred ninety nine. Oh. Okay. What do you got for us, Brooke? Just a lot of more random hangers Brain about names. with yeah. Phrase and Rob and. Um, how about how about this? She spends like the whole trip up to the twins, telling Rob, "You got to be careful not to offend Walder. You got to be careful not to offend him. You got to be careful." And then, like the first thing she does is go behind his back to his maister, and or to his was a septon or maester, and ask about basically checking the horse's teeth for <laughs> Edmure's uh, soon-to-be wife. Like, she doesn't think that's going to get back to Walder? How's that not insulting? Well, it does bring up a good question. I will, here's the thing. Cat can get away with it. That is woman's business. I'm making air quotes here. Yeah, so I don't think it'll actually be questioned too much. I think if Rob did it, or Ed, sorry, if Edmure did it, that would be cause for concern. And Walder would definitely hear about it. But because Cat did it, it's like par for the course. But here's the big question is... Why is he unloading a prime fray yeah. mm-hmm. and not a, you know, one more suitable for giving insult to Robin Edmure? Like, what's the what's the deal here? Everybody kind of questions it, right? Edmure does, Catelyn does, Rob does. 
what's the, what's the deal? Uh, Catelyn's reaction, I think, is the most interesting, that Walder's trying to placate Edmure and make sure that he's happy and distracted to carry out what other, whatever other nefarious plans Walder has to um, further put salt in the wound of... Or, sorry, take salt out of his wound? I'm not sure. <laughs> to, mm. to, to insult Rob for insulting Walder. So Actually, she's she's suspicious. She, she knows Edmure. He knows Edmure's temperament and personality and everything. Yeah, she even says it's he's well like, known that he likes a pretty face. Yeah, he'll be satisfied if he's got a girl. He won't be suspicious, or he'll probably appreciate me after I give him this chick, and then I'm free to do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. I think it could but, be even simpler than that. I mean, Waller knows the way it works. He's had eight wives himself. You know, wives last as long sometimes in this world as the husbands want them to last. And Frey very much wants his family to grow in power. And the best way is to keep Edmund happy with his wife so that they will continue to reap benefits down the line to, you know, to that growth. Yeah, the Rosbys, you know, uh, Rosalind's got like six brothers or five brothers or something. Four brothers. And she's the, well, yeah, that's what I said. That's what I said, four brothers. Um, She's... And so I think the reasoning was is she's likely to give Edmure some sons uh, coming from that kind of stock or whatever, that Rosby stock or however Catelyn calls it. Um, and so Walder's thinking he could potentially get a, a kid of his in the in River Run, right? Yeah, that's a definite possibility. But I love how nobody's thinking that Walder would put aside his grudge in order to mm-hmm. secure his line. <laughs> Like, everyone's like, um, that doesn't sound like Walder. Yeah, this, this <laughs> that isn't right. That guy can right. pull the grudge. <laughs> yeah. One of his ugly kids could have easily given him a son too, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, about the stock you've mentioned, I just wanted to... I think everyone knows this. It's common scientific knowledge, I think. Uh, but just want to throw it out there. Science has told us that big breasts have nothing to do with the ability to nurse children. Oh, really? Zero... zero Zero correlation. In fact, some theorize now it's just pendulum swinging the other way that it's actually harder if you've got really big breasts because the weight of them can make latching on difficult for the baby. Like they get not smothered, but like it's difficult for them. Anyway, <laughs> strange level of detail here. But point is, cat wouldn't know this. They don't have the science we do. But in case you didn't know, it has nothing to do with it. Okay, thank you. Hey, I totally learned something new today. I. I thought that science went the other way on that one, but now I'm picturing a child just like smothered by boobs. Smothered by <laughs> a giant stripper breast. Just <laughs> I don't know why it has to be a stripper, but all right. If that's where your brain right. wants to go, that's fine. Okay. I'm, just, I'm more of a butt gal. Okay. <laughs> Me too. We have that in common, the three of us then. We're all butt gals. <laughs> Uh, I did have a word of the day. That's right. Do it. Word of the day! All right. The word of the day. Waldernate. To flicker back and forth at will between hilariously uncaring about the perceptions and opinions of others and strangely politically calculating. (laughs) To Waldernate. Uh, nailed it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I like that. We'll try to use it more. Very good. All right. Yeah, that's all I got. All 
All right. Shall I we... caught another potential mistake. We should make a segment of this. <laughs> Matt's push to become the editor of A Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> Good luck. Those books, I hear they're really struggling. They probably do need someone new. <laughs> they probably need someone with my credentials <laughs> to step in. <laughs> Ryman, um, Ryman Frey is Walder's grandson, and that's pointed out. He's the son of Stevron, who was Walder's firstborn. And most likely uh, to become a rapper. Ryman. Ryman. God, uh, yeah. You're welcome, bro. Go to hell. And it, it says that he's his, he's a grandson, but on like the very next page, Ryman calls Walder his father. Oh. Just a little catch there. Oh. Editor, I'm calling you out. Interesting. Calling you out. That's all I got. Yeah, well, I think we like should also call out the writer. Like, who doesn't apparently even know his Germ own characters. can do no wrong. Okay. <laughs> We're very positive about these books, Scad. <laughs> we like them. Uh, well, there are those stories. Reviewer. Yeah. That's what I was referring to. Yeah. And you know what? Like, that iTunes reviewer went so far as to, like, sift through all of our other positive comments and mark to that question that they put at the end of every comment, was this comment helpful or was this review helpful? And they marked no on every single one. And I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what happened because we didn't have those before. And then that review was left. And then we had, like, no, oh, no, 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 no. And, and if, Whoa, if the listeners really paying attention, us. they also now know that Matt went through... <laughs> and cared so much to check every single other review to see if this person left. Yeah. Well, list. I just, I, I noticed on like the three below it and I was like, huh. And so I scrolled through the rest and I was like, holy crap. <laughs> You're really invalidating my theory that this person is, should just be pitied because they have so much time on their hands. Right. Oh, anyways, it's fine. Yeah. Just people don't like us. We'll get over oh, it. Oh, so over it. I won't get over it. Yeah. So delicate. Scad is so sensitive, guys. I've got a very thin please, skin. Please, please be nice to Scad. Have you, have you cursed at all on this episode, Scad? Uh, I, I mean, I, you, I have no idea. You dropped idea. an F-bomb <laughs> at some point. I, I, I remember don't, that. I don't, I don't know when I do it, Matt. I, it's just, I don't just either other either. words to me. I, th- yeah. I think I have, I think I actually wrote one in my summary because sometimes I do write them up and I add them in all the time in my summaries just cause, cause it's natural. But I think I wrote one in cause I sometimes write them in for emphasis, but I don't know, probably I swear like probably. a sailor as, as, uh, as Heather put it. So, uh, all right. Anything else? Should we move on to Davos no. after dark? All right. Let's do it. All right. Davos after dark. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, it's time to, uh, time to take off the kid gloves, enter into, uh, what we call Davos After Dark, in which we'll spoil whatever the hell we want. So, uh, please smash this device. It will self-destruct in five seconds. Uh, anyway, or or listen to us next week. Next week, um, oh no, uh, I have no chapters. I swear I changed this. I think it'll be 50 through 54. Yeah. I swear I changed this. I must not have saved my work on this one. Anyway, 50 through 54. Chapters 50 through 54 of Storm of Swords. Also, uh, just as a reminder, if you like the uh, all of the music you've heard for the uh, chapter summaries... Uh, oh, don't sigh. 
You we don't have be, to do this every episode. You should be immensely proud of your work, and we're going to plug it every time. You can always download these things on uh, wearedavosfingers.bandcamp.com. Please do, because Matt's awesome and talented. And without further ado, it's time for Davos After Dark. Davos After Dark. Dun, 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 dun. Davos All right. After Dark. Uh, I wanted to start with Cold Hands, if you guys are oh. okay with that. Yeah. Where does dude you, come from? You know my answer, oh. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm more not. I'm, I'm less interested about who he is, uh, and uh, and uh, more how he what, got to Sam. Yeah, how he got to Sam, what his motivations are. Um, you know, is I, I think there's a lot of theories out there already. Yeah, I mean, I know there are, um, but I, I think it, it seems like Blood Raven is just controlling all of this, right? Yeah, that seems to be the most baseline theory, and I wish I had something more to add to it but it seems like sam prayed to a heart tree which blood raven saw blood raven sent ravens and cold hands right yeah i i subscribe to the theory that cold hands is actually just a warged white Mm -hmm. like like he's not an actual person from history um that he's completely controlled by well he he would be a person from history well, yeah, a significant person from oh, history. Yeah. He's just some black brother because mm-hmm. of the duds. But. And even Blood Raven or Cold Hands calling Sam brother would fit with that because Brendan was a member of the Night's Watch. Mm-hmm. So. How about this? What if it's not Blood Raven? What if it's Bran? <gasps> oh, going like through the Weirwood yeah. time warp? Yeah. Mm, Weirnet. Well, then we'd have to. Do we want to go all back to the future with this stuff? Because no, because if, if that... you, it's it's just mm. common knowledge that if you meet yourself, you know, on a different timeline or in an alternate universe, and you touch yourself, the universe will implode. So that's impossible, Scad. <laughs> Theory debunked. Well, but he's not touching himself; he's just interacting with himself through a third party. But well, I get what you mean. Then we would have to assume that warging can be done in the past, sometime not in the present. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, all the weirwood net stuff is about viewing stuff, not weirwood. Like, yeah, you can see in the past through the weirwoods, but so far as as far as recorded, I think what's recorded tells us, um, you can't warg like into the past, right? You can't warg, but you can do stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't know where the lines are, but there's something somewhere where Bran is uh, looking through the Weirwood net, and uh, he sees, I think it's Ned. It might have been uh, Bran and Leanna. I can't remember, but uh, it seems like they're, he's actually like influencing them somehow, like reaching out to them, and like they look at the tree when he's reaching out yeah, to them. Yeah, he like whisper to Theon or something? Yeah, something. That's I don't, big. Yeah. yeah. That's actually big. I I was reading up on this and just reminding myself about all this stuff with Weirwoods and everything. Yeah. And there's I found a quote from Brendan that makes the Theon interaction even bigger to me. He said, uh, I have my own ghosts, Bran, a brother that I loved, a brother I hated, a woman I desired. Through the trees I see them still, but no word of mine has ever reached them. Yeah. He says, the past remains the past. We can learn from it, but we cannot change it. So to me, that interaction that he had with Theon makes that really powerful that Bran's doing stuff that Brendan hasn't been able yeah, to do. Right. Perhaps. 
All right, so I think you have me, Brooke. Um, I don't. I don't think you're right, or or maybe it was Matt too. Like you can't probably warg somebody in the past. That would be well, if well beyond what it, Brendan's doing. What I'm getting at is that if anyone could do it, it appears that Bran could, because we've got little shreds of evidence like this one that I just read that Bran maybe is uh, more powerful than Brendan. Maybe. Yeah, but this is but warging someone. For extended periods of time is many, many steps beyond what Blood Raven's doing. Agreed. Doing that in Agreed. the past, I mean. That's that's why I gave the... Mm, yeah, probably not. When you posed the question. All right, fine. I hate you guys. No, oh, we love you too. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, but so let's just end it quickly then. But coming back, we th- I think it sounds like we all believe maybe this is Blood Raven. He's maybe controlling all the Ravens as well as Cold Hands and making this whole Sam rescue scene happen right yeah i i still don't know if 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 uh, uh cold hands isn't completely controlled by blood raven like brooks postulating it's possible um yeah i i do think that he orchestrated this whole rescue for sure i yeah. think uh i believe i read somewhere that um george said early on in the book series that Benjen Stark is definitely not Cold Hands, which mm. to me just eliminates a lot of good theories because it would be great if Benjen Stark was Cold Hands. I think it's a little on the nose, and I think that Bran would have recognized him, but mm-hmm. it would have been great if that's how he had carried on. Like if he had had the, I don't know, self awareness or the aptitude to resist becoming a mindless white. Yeah. Yeah. That was from a leaked. Um, a leaked editor's page, note from like 20 years ago. Note. Yeah. Yeah. Where the editor wrote in the margin, is this Benjen Stark? And Grimm replied, no. Isn't the internet amazing? Yeah. Like 20 uh, years ago, that little editor note meant nothing. <laughs> you know? And now, now with the internet. Significant theory destroyer. Yeah. Everyone can see it. <laughs> and there's that uh, line from the the Children of Leaf where she said they asked who Cold Hands was, and they, she says among other things that he'd been dead a long, long time. Which for a child of the forest, a long time is a long it's time. It's a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. like he could be the Night's King or some. I mean, you know, yeah. like that uh, time. I mean, not I heard Night's some King people himself. talking about how he could have been um, one of Blood Raven's famous archers. Yeah, the raven's a lot of them teeth. went up with him. Yeah, the raven's teeth, a raven's tooth, raven's tooth, yeah. a tooth of the raven. <laughs> right. But who knows? The brother he hated. That's uh, Agor. That's Bittersteel, right? Bittersteel. Agor yeah. Rivers. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Uh, to Mage and Galbert Glover. Mm, yes. Where are they? So, <laughs> where, where in the in world, the world? <laughs> are Miss Warren Galva Glover? Take me for a ride on a snowboard to China. Tell me where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Mage and Galva Glover. That makes it sound like Mage. Full credit to Brooke on that. Yeah, good job, Brooke. What a great show that was. It Fantastic. was a great show. It was. Mm-hmm. My favorite was always Double Trouble. Do you remember Double Trouble? I've totally forgotten about that. Yeah, I remember now. Double Trouble. I was always so excited when they were one of the possible crooks. Yeah. All right. Uh, so who do you think Rob named uh, as the heir? It, I, that scene struck me a little weird. He's like, hey, guys, sign it. 
like not like read it and sign it or like hey look how clever i'm being inside it. it's just like just sign this you don't need to know what's inside just don't worry about it just sign it it's, it's like when you're buying a house and you're yeah. signing all the papers <laughs> just just sign here date right yeah give us all your money there's a fee for this yeah. a fee the for person's that. Yeah. The, the person across the table is turning the pages really quickly so that you don't have time to read them why yeah. is sign this here. lawyer here. here don't worry sign about here. it yeah yeah <laughs> It surprises me that the fandom seems to put like everything on Galbert and Mage when there were other people there that would know, right? Jason Malister, um, Edmure was there, uh, the great John, who we assume, you know, last we heard, he's still alive in captivity. Um, so I think this is the worst kept secret in north of north of uh, the crossroads. Mm. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with. I guess lonely. I'm saying I agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this this secret is not lonely. I, I mean, I feel like at this point, probably Alison Mormont knows. She's gabbed it to everybody on that trail with Stannis. Um, letters have been written to the Locks and the Manderleys. Like, I feel like everybody knows this secret. Everybody knows what's in those letters. Everybody knows well, not what's in those letters, but what he's told uh, Mage and, and Galbert. I, I feel like everybody knows what the score is. Mm-hmm. This plays into the the North Remembers stuff a, a bit, I guess, but I don't know. Well, people say that copies of the letter were included with their orders, but that was never mentioned in this chapter. And as far as I know, it's not mentioned later either. No, cop- opposite. Yeah, uh, they want, but false. people have said that, and yeah. that's why they put, they're like, well, they, they know who it is. And it's, no, that is completely counterintuitive to what Rob was trying to do, right? Which yeah, but, is feed them lies. But we know that Mage. I don't remember where we know this from, but we know that Mage has been in touch with Alison, right? Her, sorry, Alison Mormont is now her heir after Daisy bites it in the soon-to-come Red Wedding, which we will talk about. I promise. Right. Um, so well, we, we know, know they've Allison been in touch. Knows her location, yes. Yeah. Well, and and that Liana Mormont, the youngest one who's still at Bear Isle, she writes that letter, of course, that says we only support. The king in the north who is Stark, she yeah. says. Right. So, Yeah, I mean, there's been communication. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, so, I, I mean, I think the air, the air is John. It's got to be, right? That's what we'd think. It would be a know. huge, a huge pull of the rug underneath you uh, if it weren't John. The only one I can think of is if Rob somehow knew that Jane was pregnant and he named his son, his unborn son, the heir. But, yeah. of course, with Jamie chapters later on in the books, it appears she's not. There's other theories around that. There's other theories around that, too. That, that's not actually her. That's not actually Jane. She does have Nothing beats Moon Tea. <laughs> yeah. I, Just ask. <laughs> yeah. What's her name? Lysa Tully. <laughs> I frequently forget that the Great John survived the Red Wedding. Right. Small John didn't. No, Small John's toast. Uh, but Great John, he's just a captive there, right? Yeah, there were guys, there were Freys whose sole job at, for the Red Wedding Massacre was to get the Great John so drunk, drunk enough yeah. that he couldn't fight. <laughs> yeah. That was their only job. Yeah. And he still took out people before. Listen, when you have down. 80 heirs, you can assign jobs like <laughs> make sure to pick up jobs. the mail today. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. Great John's still kicking. Edmure's still out there. Jason Malister was present. The thing is, I guess I guess the reason that more people aren't asking them is just people don't know. People don't know that conversation happened. Right? Yeah. So not many so, anyways. So the so the great reveal that everyone's really waiting for is RLJ, right? Mm-hmm. It pretty much like I think I saw one of those surveys of like which theories do you believe? I think um on Reddit, I think I think Beefish uh, did was in charge of one of those or something. But um, like it was something crazy. Like ninety five percent of the people believe RLJ to be true. I mean, it's right. greatly accepted as fact at this point. But it's it's like the police. Like I have all the evidence. What I want is a confession. Like how's it gonna how's it gonna come out, right? And mm-hmm. Galbert and Mage maybe are part of that. Like they're sailing up the you know up to try to meet with howland or or flag them down right yeah we've always talked about the return of howland reed you know and maybe galbert and major the ones that facilitate that but yeah it does seem like germ's keeping them conveniently in his back pocket for something yeah just related go Go ahead ahead. no no go ahead i'm kind of moving on though okay i was too okay i was gonna say that uh the Conveniently, we've got Hallis Mullen, who hasn't seemed to emerge from the neck yet either. So uh, I don't know if if that's going to come into play too. Him, of course, carrying Eddard's bones, if that's going to be significant in any way or something like that. Is he just hanging with Howland Reed somewhere in the neck? Soaking up the sun? I don't know. Because <laughs> Lady Dustin said that she's watching the neck carefully um, because she would never let Eddard Sto- Stark's bones reach Winterfell. She's got beef with Eddard. And she said that she She's hasn't seen shit. him yet. Yeah, she, you know, it's very possible Hallis slipped by her. But uh, well, if, if, that's, if that's true, then Hallis could still be in the neck. Yeah. Uh, people think that Hallis Mullen is, is the hooded man. Nope. Uh, or some people think that it's it's not actually widely believed. Same same beef fish uh, little poll thing. I think it was like ten percent of people or something believe that Hal Mullen is the man. Probably most people don't even remember who he is. Uh, if you don't remember, Hal Mullen is is the guy that Catlin always refers to as like being overly talkative and pointing out the obvious. Uh, therefore, one of my favorite characters in the series. Uh, he gets sent north with the bones, and um, people think, well, he he made it, and who knows where the bones are, but he made it, and he's the hooded man. I don't think so, because if he were the hooded man, he would have said a lot, lot more. Yeah, his personality doesn't seem to fit the <laughs> yeah. personality of the hooded man, I agree. Yeah. I, I liked Brooke's theory. Uh, well, it's another. It's a theory that's out there, but Brooke, I think, was the one who brought it up on the episode we discussed it. It's Harwin. I like the Harwin is the hooded man theory. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what were you going to say, Brooke? You yeah. had something, too. Uh, I just thought that question was interesting. What theory or conspiracy are you guys most looking forward to being proven true or uh, at least rectified in the next book? Like mm. for me, I, I don't know. I like I, I like anything others north of the wall in the north. But I'm also like, who are going to be the other two heads of the dragon? Mm-hmm. Gotta know because there's so many good theories out there and so much evidence. But like you said. There's evidence, but uh, George will pull a fast one. Also, we just need a confession. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Can't wait for the confessions. So, so what about you guys? What are you guys looking forward to? Well, I will just say quickly, like, I, I didn't mention this earlier, though. It was in my notes. 
that's like the one thing driving me to the show, like making me want to watch it, because I'm so desperate for new material that like I want anything. It's like uh, it's like a drug drug addict taking uh, a far far inferior version of the product just because they need a high, <laughs> like methadone. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, sure, I'll take the show as long as you give me some answers, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I can't can't wait for some of these confessions. Matt? Uh, this is probably rather selfish, but uh, the whole Team John idea and just John's destiny, which I guess goes along with RLJ, it, mm. it, it does actually, and just some of these, you know, if there were participants in it and these smaller questions mm-hmm. that haven't been answered of, you know, why Benjen took the black, why J.R. Mormont took the black, what's Blood Raven's whole stake in everything, why is he still around trying to control things, yes. all that stuff. Yeah, my my biggest one is probably around that. What the hell are Blood Raven and Bran doing? Mm-hmm. What are they doing? Like, forget, like, whether they're good or bad, or, like, what are they even trying, like, yeah, what's, what's the Raven game? hold up in that cave for? Why is yeah. he just yeah. died, you know? You've like, been there for decades. Doing yeah. what? Yeah, what it's... is keeping you around? Yeah. And what do you want with our Branny boy? Yeah, Branny boy! Oh. <laughs> okay, uh, last thing. We've gone long. Uh, the Red Wedding. Uh, there are just, there's, there's so many hints in these chapters. In, in... Oh, so trolly. Oh my gosh. George is just, you could just hear him in his little hat, like, going... <laughs> <laughs> Stroking his little beard. Yeah. They love this. <laughs> uh, they have no idea what's coming. I don't know, Matt. You you noted most of these. Do you want to do you want to just run through them or pick pick oh. a few of your favorites? I don't know. Lame, lame Lothar Frey, who we find out later was a principal architect of all the Red Wedding, says to Edmure, "Let us pray your marriage ends as happily." Yes. Talking about <laughs> Rob and Jane's wedding. Yes. Um, Catelyn thinks to herself, "Everything would turn on this marriage." Mm-hmm. And indeed, the whole series is flipped on its head. Yeah, you know, from a literary, from a book standpoint, story arc perspective. Um, yeah, everything does turn after the red wedding. Yeah, for the um, readers, for the average citizens of Westeros, I'm not sure, but for the readers, for sure. Right. Yeah. Lothar keeping uh, Perwin Frey away. He says he's not around. He's out traveling or something. Perwin was one of the people that escorted Catelyn back to River Run, and is a cat friendly potentially mm-hmm. so keeping people uh olivar frey as well who is rob squire before he brought on the westerlings you know they keep those guys conveniently away from the mm-hmm. twins right now um, M- much Wimpy, much like the say. starks did keeping people yeah. away that would cause some sort of awkwardness yeah my favorite was actually not even from a cat chapter from mm-hmm. from the aria chapter um the, mm. the end of the Arya chapter says something like, and maybe we'll be the, even be there in time for your uncle's bloody wedding. Bloody wedding. <laughs> Very good. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. a nice catch. Which I was thinking that, like, news must travel fast in a non-internet world that Sandra Clegane, who's on the run all the time, out in the the bush, right, is finding out about this wedding. Oh, no, the... the, the, the uh... Brotherhood Without Banners told him. Or oh, he did was, they? I think so. Okay. Didn't they? Wasn't he around when they were talking about... It's possible, yeah. Maybe yeah. not. I could be well, bullshit. Should the check. Brotherhood, though. Yeah. Backed ourselves into a corner. Yeah. One of the biggest ones is Roslyn crying. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, but you gotta are... wonder how much she knew. Exactly. Like, yeah. I don't. I, I don't believe they would have trusted such a young girl. Yeah, they're like, here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna start playing the reigns of Castamere. <laughs> Bruce Bolton's gonna come up and shove a knife in Rob. Da 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 da. While you're banging your new husband. No, no but I, I think they gave her. They gave her something. Enough that she knew what she was supposed to do. Yes. And she Here's knew your role. That... You better perform it. She's like, she, a, a, a regular bride would just be like, I know my role. I say my vows and then I go to the bed and I do, you know, things that you don't need to see. But they're like filling her in like there's some sort of scheme at play. Like that sets you off. You know something's bad, right? Right. So maybe she doesn't know all the details, but she knows enough that yeah. they're up to no good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What do you guys think? You think that she... uh she loves Edmure. You think she's committed to this? Maybe not love him yet because they've spent very little time together, but that she's committed to the marriage and has a good heart and everything. Oh yeah, I think she is sweet. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think I think she's a uh forgive me Brooke, but I think she's a regular girl of the time. She has dreamed of a wedding day for a long time and she wants a happy husband whose feet she can rub by the fire and uh she wants that dream to become tr- become true, and yeah. I think yeah. she's happy with Edmure. And from her end, Edmure's not, you know, bald and blind in one eye. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. He's a great Once you resign yourself to the fact that you get absolutely no say in who your future husband is <laughs> yeah. going to be, yeah. I mean... Just accept it. Just yeah. go with it. Yeah, this is a good deal for her. You mean I get He's a the huge Lord of River Run. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. The Lord of River Run. Yeah. She'll actually be the wife of the liege lord over her family. Yeah, right. Mm. It's not a bad. Yeah, not a bad deal. Lord Walder will now have to, uh, like, kneel before her. Yeah, if he actually kneeled to anyone. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that I think that just about does it. Uh, unless you guys got anything to add. I don't think so. About that time. I'm good. I'm good for now. Okay. I think, uh, yeah, we'll have more to talk about in three weeks. Oh, my God. There's going to be so much. Is our mm-hmm. next one, uh, is that Red Wedding? I think it is. Yeah, because you have, Here. It's you have Aria, seven. Cat, Aria. Yep. It's like right in a row. Yep. And it's Catelyn my seven, I episode. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, it uh, should be pointed out, though, that we're, uh, we didn't catch this. We're only doing four chapters next time. Oh. We're only oh, doing Arya, Catelyn, Arya, and Tyrion. Okay, it is okay. Arya, Katya, Arya, Tyrion. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, we did that so that we could spend a little more time. Oh, on so that. we're gonna answer the age-old question of who Brooke likes more, me or you, because one of us is gonna get two chapters and one of us is gonna get one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna send you guys my Amazon wish list. <laughs> we'll go from there. And since you both know how much I like writing chapter summaries, I think we know who's gonna get it. <laughs> so. Maybe I'll take two chapters. Ooh, oh, that would flip right it on its now. head, Gurm style. <laughs> All right, should we sign off? This is Brooke signing off saying, please don't spoil me for anything. Don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Don't breathe near me. I want to be born into all media from a womb of purity. That was really beautiful, the way you just said that. A womb of purity? Is that- a womb yeah. of purity. That doesn't, if there's a womb, doesn't that imply that there was some purity broken at some point? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Listen, original sin. That's not what it implies. <laughs> All right. Well. <laughs> no. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> oh man. Just as I was reading this, I couldn't help but thinking of a classic Matt Nathanson line: "Getting what you want is going to break your heart." 
Mm. Of course, Matt but, Nathanson. Of course. I don't know who that is. Me neither. Morning. He's delightful. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's pulling it from the vault, and we're stunned into silence. If Brooke and I could be silenced. <laughs> uh, for me to prove Walder right, I had a sign-off prepared, but then I was presented with a nice pair of teats, so I could remember nothing. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Were they good breastfeeding teats? Uh, who knows? Well, you cannot tell to, by size. Talk to the maester. Good night, everybody. Good night. Get what you want. It's gonna break you. It's gonna break you. It's gonna break your heart. It's the way she walks. The way she talks. Can't stop thinking about the girl in the t-shirt. It just makes me feel like even more conviction to stick to our book only stance. Like we're the, we feel like we're like the last ones left, you know, that yeah. are book only. Yeah. Off to, off to write that hit song alone in my principles. <laughs> <laughs> what is that from? Oh it's that from uh, that thing you do. Oh yeah. That's right. The lead singer's like, let's like, looks like I'm alone in my principles. And he storms out. The guitarist says, Oh, there he goes. Off to write his hit song alone in my principles. <laughs> I thought you made that up for yourself. Like that was your personal theme song. And I was like, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> uh, Prince died. I added that to the notes. I don't know if you guys saw that. Mm-hmm. I don't have much to say. I can take it out if you guys want. Do you have anything to say? Do we have any Prince fans? I'm not a huge Prince fan. I've got stuff I can say about him, but... He's okay. What I admire him most for is... Do you guys remember that show by that black comedian who went crazy and moved to Africa? What's his name? Oh, damn it. Um, anyways, he did a skit on stories that um, Eddie Murphy's brother, Charlie Murphy, would tell about oh. Prince. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> What is that guy's yeah, name? Yeah, you know Damn who it. I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And then one of the stories is that Prince would, like, school everyone on his home basketball court and then make people pancakes. And it was just, like, so well done because he's playing basketball and making the pancakes in his ruffled shirts, his blouses. <laughs> <laughs> really great. Uh, it's David something, isn't it? Oh, Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. Chappelle. (laughs) Okay, but my whole point of this story was, well, it is sad that Prince died, and he was definitely a musical legend. I don't care enough to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, most of what I know about Prince is what I learned from the Evening with Kevin Smith uh, discussion where he talks about how Prince hired him to come do some sort of film documentary thing that he actually never got to keep the footage or even use it in any way. And <gasps> the weird experience he had on his compound. <laughs> do you get pancakes? I don't remember mentioning pancakes. Matt, do you? Or do you not know that story? I, so. I feel like oh, Prince is someone who would, who would like food police. <laughs> Be like, you don't need pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, could we take a quick break to get some water? Cause my voice is, oh, uh, gosh, getting scratchy. Oh, it's not pee this time. No, I need I, about, I need a drink. I was about to comment on how you guys have humming or bladders the size of hummingbirds, but no, I am known <laughs> legendarily for my ability to not pee for long, long periods of time. They call literally they That's call me the camel in my family. 
That is not healthy. Wow. No. <laughs> no. All right, go get a drink. All right, I'll be back in a second. Full disclosure, I'm going upstairs to get a soda and not water. <laughs> of course. Oh, good. That'll help your voice. Uh, I thought he was going to go the other way with that. Like, I'm known <laughs> legendarily like, as having to pee every five he minutes. Just and then all the time. <laughs> I was going to, like, set him up for a toilet chair joke at work. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. Now I'm, now I'm just, like, so upset. Dang it. <laughs> Does he have a toilet chair? Tell me. Or is he just wearing a diaper all the time? He's not really a camel. It's I was just... going to say, like, I've kind of, I've, I, I've, I get the, I, I get the impression that there's something more in those britches. <laughs> I think he's wearing a diaper. <laughs> those britches. <laughs> you know, it's like after yeah. I potty, after we potty trained Hiram, his little butt just looks so much smaller in pants because he didn't have the rotundness of the diaper there anymore. It was just, it was just tidy whities mm, Looking good, son. I'm seeing some of that rotundness in Scad's caboose. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can always tell, especially with older people, because there's, there's like, like a clear, there's no clear definition of a crack. It's like. <laughs> Listen, I'm not saying I look at butts all the time. Just of, of the elderly. Of the time. <laughs> it's, yeah. Check it out. I could also spot women wearing spanks from like 200 paces. Whoa. You should be in the X Men books. Don't know what's wrong with me. You have a gift. I guess squandered. Yeah. Be careful! Don't reveal that. There will be people that hate you. And want to oh, kill no, I you don't. Listen. Because of your gift. Listen, I'm just going to tell anybody who listens to this podcast. That's it. <laughs> I'm back. Great. Oh, Do hey. I need to hear that warning? You will definitely want to uh, listen back to Uh-oh. what we just talked about. Was it a personal attack or what? Did I do something bad? It wasn't an attack. <laughs> we actually just... attacked from multiple angles. <laughs> On me? Yeah. What? What did I do? You'll see. Just listen. You'll. This is what. This is what his response will be, Brooke, when he listens to it. The classic scad. I hate you guys. That's what he'll say as he's listening. <laughs> I hate you guys. I'm. I'm actually feeling like uh, reasonably insecure at the moment. Hey pals and gals, here's all the music we used for this episode. You know, we only get to do those little snippets, but uh, go out and check out the full songs. I think you'll like many of them. So the first one, uh, Spirit in Black by Slayer. That's from their album Seasons in the Abyss. Uh, We've also got You've Got to Be Carefully Taught from the South Pacific soundtrack. Let Scad know if you end up checking that one out. Uh, Cherry Pie by Warrant, not Motley Crue, Brooke. That's from their album, uh, originally titled Cherry Pie. Hmm. We also had, of course, 1999 by Prince and the Revolution from that album, uh, 1999. And Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego by Rockapella. Uh, all you 90s kids will love that one. We had Kink's Shirt by Matt Nathanson from his album Last of the Great Pretenders. That's one of my favorite artists out there, and I highly recommend Mr. Nathanson. And then, of course, 
the song of the podcast, the song of Davos Fingers, we threw in as we try to, anytime the crossroads even gets mentioned, we threw in the crossroads. That's the T-H-A crossroads by Bone Thugs and Harmony from their wonderful album East 1999 Eternal. So check them out, guys. We'll catch you next episode and love you lots. Thank mm-hmm. you.